I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Yona Weiss, who I feel sure needs very little introduction. However, uh, as many people know, Yona's uh, sort of the, the cost segregation king. That's maybe what he's best known for. Um, he's a powerhouse on LinkedIn. Uh, you also have six children, which I think will be a cool thing to talk about. But um, Yona, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. My pleasure, Jason. It's uh, great speaking with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, well, why don't we dive into it? I'd love it if you could kind of just give us give us your background, sort of what, what got you, uh, you know, <laughs> where life started and, and where it's taken you to this point to, to such success. You know, it's amazing when you kind of look back and you think about where you've been, where you've come, uh, and how you've gotten there. And so it's not often that I get a chance to kind of reflect, but whenever I do, you just, I mean, I just see God's hand in kind of guiding me where in every which direction. So it's really an incredible story, which I haven't really shared much of. So I'm happy to kind of get into this and yeah, we'll I would pick, love out, that. Yeah. We'll pick out little, little, uh, you know, points here and there. Uh, certainly can't discuss all of it, but I grew up in California, Southern California, actually you're in, in LA in the Valley. <laughs> um, so that took me to San Diego state, uh, for college. And at that point, I was kind of, it was very, it had been wanting to explore uh, my, my heritage, my background, spirituality. And I decided, you know what, I really want to go to Israel, which is where for me as a Jewish person, there's a, a very deep connection uh, to land. I have family there. I had, you know, many, lots of, lots of history. And so I did, I just picked up, I actually did like a junior year abroad study. So I wouldn't lose any credits and make my parents happy also because they didn't like the fact that I was, you know, just take off. They're like, okay, if you go, you're never coming back and uh, you, you won't finish college. I was like, that's not true, but it was totally true. So I ended up, um, so I ended up actually going there, taking junior year abroad, which was an incredible thing for me because I literally fell in love with the place, the country and everything about it as soon as I got there, literally, and basically decided after a couple months of being there that I never wanted to leave. And uh, I ended up finishing, you know, doing that junior year abroad, studying very uh, intensely in what's called the yeshiva, which is like a Jewish higher education place where it's just very intense kind of uh, group learning sessions and a lot of, a lot of studying all hours. Long story short, I went back to San Diego for a year uh, to finish up my final year, got the degree, made sure it was mailed to my parents' house because I took off on the next plane yeah. back to Israel and, uh, and really never looked back. Um, I ended up you know, starting a family shortly after that and studied and was a teacher for many years and ended up moving there permanently, basically. And so I'm right now in, in Jerusalem. I work remotely. 
Okay. And so I was doing the remote work. We'll get to that kind of skipping forward, but I, I was doing the remote work remotely before it was cool, you know, before the COVID thing happened and yeah. I was like, Oh, we got to work remotely. Like, yeah, I've been doing that for years. Um, but that being said, it really had a very, very intense kind of spiritual journey that took me to spending, you know, years and years, uh, very close to a, a famous rabbi, like a very scholarly person who, was my mentor, basically like a father figure to me and, and helped tremendous ways that I would, can't even begin to describe without getting into all the, the depth of that. I and mean, we're just doing the overview. Feel free to ask questions as we come. But at a certain point, about five, six years ago, I had a big family, um, six kids at that point. And, you know, my six was, was just, you know, was born. And I was like, okay, teacher salary, not doing well for me. Got to figure something else out. And I, I found real estate. And, and it was very, I actually started out doing commercial mortgages with a friend of mine who was also there based, um, kind of working remotely for a company. He had worked for Eastern Union, which is one of the largest international mortgage companies. And he was working remotely from Israel, a good friend of mine. And then he, he left them and started a, um, not started, but basically started working with his uncle who ran a, a boutique mortgage company. And I started working alongside of him and just learned basically apprenticing everything taught me everything there was to know about commercial real estate, uh, about cold calling, talking to banks, understanding how to underwrite, understanding, you know, how to look at deals. And we ended up becoming very close, ended up doing a few fix and flips together also remotely uh, in the States. Uh, he ended up moving back to, uh, to New York and we were still working together at that time. And I found, uh, you know, everything I wanted to know about real estate and continued that journey, even in Israel, looked at doing some development there. Uh, became a licensed broker and was doing some residential brokering there, just kind of learning everything. I learned very quickly real estate was uh, in Israel is very difficult to break into. Okay. So I just focused back in the States and I did a lot of networking and went, wound up finding this company, Madison Specs, Madison Commercial Real Estate, which I currently work for. This is about going back close to five years ago. And I just felt like a very natural connection with them. And they're like, yeah, of course, working remotely whatever you do, you know, it's great. And I quickly learned all about cost segregation, <laughs> like the rest is history. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about how that, how that happened, how to become the, the cost segregation king and, and the, you know, marketing expert that I basically became, but it didn't happen overnight. It was with a lot of hard work, a lot of persistence, but it just goes to show you that whatever background you come from, whatever experience you have, literally, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all the time. Like you can be any age and you can start something and you, you don't have to worry about like things don't happen overnight. You can start something new like I did and become an industry expert, become you know well-known and very successful in just a few years. And it just really comes to persistence to the point where now, because of all the relationships that I've built, and the experience that I've had, especially in the real estate world, like I'm doing my own investing as well and working on, uh, on bigger deals and partnerships and in larger multifamily properties. So that's in a nutshell from beginning to end. We just covered the Yona Weiss story. Yeah, your entire life story right there. No, that, that's, <laughs> in that's five minutes. fascinating. <laughs> I, I mean, there's a lot there to, to break down. And I, I guess I didn't, uh, a lot that I, I hadn't known previously. So that's really cool. So you're you've been essentially working remotely for many, many years now. And I assume, I assume, I know you do a lot of travel. I mean, I, you know, 
connected with you on, on social media and things like that. So I know you do a lot of traveling and you have, um, as you mentioned, now you have all these connections in the space and everything. So that, that just opens up more and more opportunity for you. When one thing that you said that sort of piqued my curiosity is that it's, it's hard to break into real estate in Israel. And I think it's hard to break into real estate in anywhere states as well. Right. So I guess I'm curious what, what's harder about that given how is it easier to to invest remotely or to be a part of that remotely than it is to you know do it do it in your backyard sure i mean it's a great question and really anywhere people in real estate is a universal thing you can buy real estate anywhere um markets are going to be different so similarly like if you're living in los angeles which you are right it's you may be thinking okay well it's not really great to invest in los angeles maybe the returns aren't so good so that's part of it um, very difficult to make good returns. And there are a lot of factors contributing to that. So without getting into everything, the banking system is totally different. Um, the commercial mortgages is totally different, which means you can't really get a commercial mortgage with le- the kind of leverage that you can in, uh, in the States. Um, and, you know, non-recourse, things like that. It just, it doesn't exist. Uh, the tax, the tax situation is totally different. And, there does not exist the same type of uh, market for certain products within real estate as there does in, in the United States. For example, multifamily property does not exist in, in Israel. Uh, people do, there may be some people that own like very few and far between people that own like apartment buildings, but it's very uncommon because usually each individual unit is like is, is sub parceled and um you know, has its own parcel. And typically speaking, it's similar to like condominiums. So most people own like condos as rentals. Uh, they'll yep. call them apartments, but it's essentially the same thing. And so the only real way, I mean, after literally after about a year or so, year and a half of like trying to break into it, and like literally this is a story I haven't really told any time, but I, I found an amazing partner. A guy was a broker, young guy, really, really smart, quick on his feet, made a lot of money as a, as a residential broker. Um, like over the period of like 18 months and made incredible connections. We connected really, really fast. And I started working with him, just learning the brokerage side of things and ended up, we're like, okay, we came across like this really commercial development deal. We're like, well, let's, let's try to do it. Let's try to figure it out. Let's on our own. Right. And we broke our heads and literally started working and trying to broker commercial development deals like land and, and, you know, things that were had, you know, already pre-zoned, all, all these kind of things. Long story short, we ended up almost buying, like going under contract and almost buying a, a development project on a couple of occasions. Both of them, thank God, fell out because there were a lot of things in there that, I mean, you need really good lawyers to understand all the contracts. I mean, as you can imagine, in any deal, you need good lawyers to review the contracts, especially development, but there's just some things in there that were just like, you know, did you realize what it says over here? Like, you're going to lose all your money if you don't fulfill like X, Y, and Z. Like, no, that was not, that was not stipulated in the discussions and the negotiations. And I just kind of stick it in there in the contract. Um, but we ended up, I literally ended up spending a good amount of time reaching out to all of the like largest uh, real estate and development uh, companies in the country and had meetings with like the CEOs and CFOs of some of the largest, um, you know, companies in the country. So I was like traveling back and forth to Tel Aviv going, to, it was fascinating to me, you know, going up from the first time and going to these like skyscrapers 
um, and having these dealings with these billion dollar companies. And they're like, yeah, just taking us in and like, you know, meeting with these people. So that to me was, was incredible. And it kind of taught me that, you know, this guy, you can do anything. Like you can pick up the phone and get through to anyone if you really want to. And you put, you're persistent and you, and you have a, you know, so I learned a lot from that experience, but I also learned that the only real way to make money is in ground up development. And so therefore that, that took way too long and too much uh, was at stake to risk that. And so I just kind of feel, okay, the big people, they're making a lot of money and the small people aren't, you know, no one else really, it's hard to get in, which is fascinating because a lot of Israelis, there's a lot of money in Israel and a lot of Israelis invest in the United States um, and buy properties. I mean, all over the, all over the place. So it's really interesting. So I, I kind of learned that. And so it's hard to break, like you said, it's hard to break into real estate everywhere. Um, but when you kind of look at the local situation and take the time to understand differences, you just go with what's easier and what, what, you know, probably maybe not, not necessarily what's easier, but what, um, I guess what's best for your situation. For me, that was not right. to stay focused there, but to actually branch out and, uh, and do it remotely. Yeah. I mean, in that, I would say that probably applies to when you're choosing a market within the States, right? You're just exactly looking at whatever your specific investment strategy is. So if you're trying to do ground up development, great. If you're trying to do, you know, if you're, if you're in LA and you want to do more of an appreciation play and you have time to wait for values to go up, that's fine. You're probably not going to cash flow. So it's, it's really just figuring out what's important to you. And, right. and as you said, you know, you took the time to figure it out, right? You did all of your own research, due diligence, you know, made connections and things. And so it, it it's kind of the same thing in, in any space, I would imagine. And then you just find out what works, what works for you. Um, well, let's, Unless I get this out of the way, let's talk about cost segregation real quick because I that is you know sort of what I think people know you for uh, in a lot of places. But but I think it's also a good thing for the listeners to kind of understand a little bit better. You don't have I'm sure that you couldn't possibly cover everything there is to know about it, but maybe on a broad scale, um, can you explain it and and you know sort of what explain what cost segregation is and and why you would do that? Sure, it's it's a really weird name for a really cool tax uh, deduction, essentially. It's, it's depreciation to the max, like depreciation on steroids. So essentially what depreciation is, is a tax deduction that you get when you buy a property. You get um, any commercial or even residential, but any investment or business property, beside, anything besides your personal residence, you now get to take a tax write-off over a number of years of the entire value of your property, okay? So if you buy a property for a million dollars, the IRS says, okay, now you can deduct that from your tax returns uh, over a long period of time for residential or multifamily, it's over a 27 and a half year period, over commercial properties over a 39 year period. And essentially what cost segregation does, it's a engineering study of the property an engineering kind of breaking down of the property and saying, well, only the structure is the thing that should be depreciating over that long period, 27 or 39 year period. But there's a lot of things, a lot of stuff inside the property that actually depreciates faster. So I just want to clear up what I mean by depreciate. It doesn't mean like this, like the word sounds like that something's going down in value. It's just a tax deduction based on that concept. So there's, but there are a lot of things that the IRS has defined as personal property that depreciates on a five year period. 
like appliances or furniture, fixtures, even stuff like carpeting or wall coverings or shelving, cabinets, you name it, basically anything that's non-structural. And so from a cost segregation engineering perspective, we come and break down the property into all these different components and depreciate each component separately, which allows the taxpayer or the owner to take these larger deductions at a faster, in, in the earlier years of ownership. So essentially it's a cash flow strategy to allow you to, to take advantage of like that pool of potential depreciation instead of just taking a little tiny bit every single year for 39 years, you can actually front load um, a certain percentage, maybe 20, 30% of that into the first year or the first few years, which allows you to take these huge tax write-offs, tax deductions uh, early on, which again, in turn, just increases your cash flow. Right, right. Okay. And so now there's something that, that always comes up in that is, is the depreciation recapture, right? So there's, we get all those tax write-offs at the beginning, but I think there's some, you know, it, people need to know also about depreciation recapture and kind of how that is going to affect them later on at, at the disposition of the property. Um, I, I don't know if this is a question for you or a CPA, but uh, maybe you can kind of talk about that component of it. Yeah, it's a really, it's an interesting thing. So anytime you have tax deductions, you have to look at the, the full picture, right? The IRS is not your friend, right? They have incentives and depreciation and all tax deductions are incentives that they're creating in order to encourage people to do certain things, okay? The whole tax code was written for, to you know, help increase production in the economy and so the, all the tax deductions that are out there are for certain industries. And there are you know, a lot of deductions for all types of different industries. And even every business has all these different types of deductions. They can take because the IRS, the job is to just encourage, or at least in theory, right, is to encourage production, is to encourage uh, business transactions. So when you are buying, okay, you're helping the economy, right? And you are contributing to that. So they're giving these tax deductions. When you sell a property, you've taken that benefit and you have also gained from it. And so therefore there's what you call capital gains tax, for example, where if you made a profit on the sale, you now have to pay or you're subject to, I should make that very clear, you're subject to a tax on the sale. And I say subject to because within the tax code itself, there are other strategies that you can use that are built in if you do it right, that you can literally defer those taxes or offset or get rid of those taxes in different ways as well. However, you're subject to that. Similarly, depreciation recapture tax is a tax of the unrealized gain. Essentially, you've taken those tax deductions. You, let's say you, know, you took $100,000 of tax deductions, lowered your income tax liability over the hold of ownership. But now you need to, uh, when you sell it, give back a portion of that by being taxed on the amount of depreciation that you took. And as I mentioned before, just like the capital gains, you're subject to the tax, you're subject to that recapture tax, but you can defer it with 1031 exchange. You can reduce it with other strategies like having passive losses from the purchase of another property. So again, all these rules are built in there and we just have to be smart enough or take the initiative to understand how I can use them and how I can best uh, strategize to make the most of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, that's a great uh, description. And I think it's the point about, you know, it's a, you're subject to that tax, but there are other ways to kind of 
I don't know that you can avoid it forever, but you, <laughs> there are ways to to further reduce or for, further defer, like you said, 1031 exchange is one of them. So exactly. um, lo lots of ways around that. So great. I, I You talk about this all the time. So we'll, we'll probably just leave it at that. I think that's a, <laughs> a good, a good overview of uh, cost segregation. And so the other thing that I think is you're, you're very well known for is your um, LinkedIn presence. And so can you talk about sort of how you started that? I, I think a lot of people, you know, you, myself included, just sort of like, okay, you're supposed to have an online presence. You need to create a brand. You need to become a thought leader in the space, all of this stuff. But it, it's a little bit overwhelming to think about, okay, where, where do you start that process? Like, how do you yeah. first like, okay, I, I see you and I'm like, I don't even know how to get to that. You know what I mean? It's just like, uh, there are... I assume you had a strategy sort of going into it and, and kind of uh, built that up over time. You know, I didn't have a strategy going in, but it did build up over time. Um, it really, I didn't know the first thing about social media when uh, basically when I started working for Madison that like five, four or five years ago. And I kind of came across LinkedIn. I had a LinkedIn account like for many, many years, I mean, maybe 10 years or something like that. Like most people do you put your resume there. You put, you know, what jobs you worked at, whatever, and open it once every six months, if that. And then it kind of, I, I logged in at one point. It was actually really interesting. I've spoken this about this on, on other podcasts as well, but it's a fascinating thing to me. I was looking at the time, and I, I stumbled upon LinkedIn by accident. I was looking for, um, contact information. I was looking to kind of verify and find people who own properties and things like that. So what do you do? You, you put it into Google, right? You find the person's name, like, okay, how can I find this person? Put it into Google, their name or the company's name. And lo and behold, always, every single time I did that at the top of the page, if not the first, within the first few um, results from that search was LinkedIn profile. And so I would click on that. And I was like, okay, this is the same person, same company, same location. I could verify that. It was, that was what I was doing at the time. But, you know, since I logged in there, I was like, okay, well, let's check this out. And I, and I kept seeing uh, at that time, it was like the first time I'd ever seen that, like people posting videos of themselves, like talking, giving inspirational things. Well, I came across Gary Vaynerchuk for the first time over there and people sharing original content. It wasn't just like articles, you know, third-party articles. It was like people actually asking and engaging questions and things like that. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I can do that too. Let me try. And I came across something at the time called a 30-day challenge. There was a couple of guys who were in the, into marketing. They owned marketing companies, et cetera. And they were like, you have to post on LinkedIn for 30 days straight and we'll give you some ideas for content, et cetera. And I was like, okay, interesting. And I saw a guy who I knew who was doing this. I was like, he's like, I've never posted a video before. Like everyone else, right? right. This is my first thing. I was like, wow, that's okay. That's interesting. And I just started doing that. And as I was doing it, I just, I was like, okay, this I'm getting, meeting more people. I'm networking. I'm getting connected with all kinds of people and I'm getting presence, um, which, you know, recognition, like you said, where uh, social media, and I quickly learned how powerful social media could be when I started literally getting results. And then I was invited to be on a podcast, which to me was like, you know, what's a podcast, right? Now we're here sitting here four years later, I've been on, you know, over 200 podcasts as a guest. And now I have my own podcast, which, you know, we're coming up to 200 episodes of that. So it's like, it's crazy where you can see the shift over time, but I'm a, a very good learner, I think. And so I, saw 
potential and I, I kind of honed in on how to be good at it and followed other people who are kind of like Gary Vaynerchuk and other people who are in the marketing. And I'm like, listen, marketing people, this is their business. This is putting bread on their table. So let me watch them and see what they're doing. And it's because it's working. Because if it wasn't, they wouldn't be doing it, right? Yep. And so I just followed their lead and was doing the similar things in my own kind of style, in my own um, content, et cetera. And it just kept taking off, kept gaining steam and momentum. And since then, it's, it's really built such a me media presence. It's called the Constellation King. Like literally, I walk into a conference like I did uh, a few days ago in Orlando, and I'm like a celebrity, people taking pictures of me. Like yeah. I literally didn't take one picture with my camera. And there's probably like 50 pictures of me floating around social media right now. Uh, and yeah, I think sure. that's a testament of just the consistency. And, I, you know, it has to do with my personality also just going out of my way to help other people and encourage other people to do the same. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, your, your point of, you know, what other people are doing it, marketing people are doing it, look at what they're doing and, and do that. And I think you hear that a lot out there. It's like, okay, find someone that's doing what you want to do and just copy them basically, you know, don't, don't steal their content, but do, do the process that they're exactly. doing. Uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about, I'm a big fan of him too. Like they, he talks about it all the time. He also talks about the amount of time it will take before it feels like it's working. Right. So he's like, nobody knew who I was 10 years ago. And, and so it's kind of like, what, how, how did you feel during that process? You know, timeframes, what, when did you feel like it was working? And I imagine it's almost like a, an exponential growth, right? At first you're like, oh, I'm getting some followers. This is cool. And then all of a sudden it's gonna, you know, that's gonna take off, you know, in an upward trajectory. How did that sort of feel to you? How, how did you experience that? You're absolutely right. It's a long game. And Gary V talks about that all the time. It's a long game. You have to go into it knowing you're not gonna see results right away. And I knew that going in, as soon as I started, I was like, okay, this is, this has a lot of potential, but I'm not going to get there overnight. And I had no intention of getting overnight. I just wanted to do whatever I could on a daily basis to help other people. And so whether it was through uh, making connections, helping connect other people, whether it was through sharing, you know, content, helpful people, you know, whatever it was, I was just going to be consistent and do it every single day. And yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that I saw the results was the consistency and knowing that it's going to take a long time. And yes, it did start to snowball at a certain point. It probably wasn't like, I don't know, maybe like four or five, six months until like I saw any real tangible results. Yeah. But at that point, it then really did start to snowball to a certain effect and has taken new forms and snowballed in different ways exponentially, like you said, in ways that I couldn't even imagine to the point where, you know, now, thank God, our company has grown tremendously. Um, I'm, you know, bringing on assistance, building systems to help even grow even further. And, you know, and like I said, at the very beginning, because of that presence, I've created relationships with a lot of people and I'm starting to invest myself and have that opportunity, which is opening up an entirely new uh, frontier, which who knows where that's going to go. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, with social media, it, at this, you know, the where it is at this point, and the people, you, you see the people that have a large social media presence. I think it's very easy for them to attract investors and things like that, because 
everybody already knows who you are, right? So it's all about right. that no like and trust. And so essentially they probably already have that with you. And it's like, I imagine for, for people like, mm -hmm. like Brandon Turner, it's not hard for him to raise money for his fund because everybody knows who Brandon Turner is. He's been doing this for a long time. Like you don't, you don't have to be worried about him because his, he's, he's already out there. His reputation is there. You know, it's, it's kind of that process. So it, it, it just goes to show you sort of that, that power and, and how I think it's easy to get and and again, I do this, but it's easy to get in your head at the beginning in your own, you know, sort of your own limiting beliefs and stuff. It's like, well, I, nobody wants to listen to me. They don't, you know what I mean? But ultimately, if you approach it, like you said, as you're, you're trying to, you're just trying to help people, you're trying to provide value, put something out there that will benefit whoever, then mm -hmm. over time, you know, that, that kindness can, can only, you know, sort of come back to you. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's, that's really what it's all about. That's kind of my philosophy is just keep giving, um, do whatever you can to give and give and give and give. And don't think about how you're going to get anything back. Cause you know that if you do that on a consistent basis, you'll get 10 times back, but again, don't do it for that, uh, for those intentions, just be, try to be as altruistic as possible and you'll get back 10 tenfold. Yeah. 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 It's not a, it's not a transaction of kindness, right? It's like, you're just, you're giving and at some point the, the universe will, will give back. And that's just how it kind of how it works, I think. So exactly. Um, yeah, that's, that's very cool. Well, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. I'll go to sort of the, the questions that I like to ask uh, every guest. And the sure. first one is, um, has to do with the, the title of the podcast being know your why. So for you, Yona, what, what is your why? What, what drives you at this point? I think for a long time, what's driven me is just to be the best person that I can be. Um, and to me, what that means, and I define that as, as we've spoken about a little bit here is what can I do to help other people? Uh, because I think when you define your life's mission focused on yourself, that as, as noble as that can be, um, you know, a lot of people's whys are focused on you know, their family and everything. That's definitely true for me. I have a big family, six kids, as we mentioned, love them all to pieces, do whatever I can for them. But again, it's all about what I can do for other people. And so when you focus on um, the bigger picture, there's a whole world out there. Um, you be the best that you can be. You were put on this world for a purpose. And I think living that purpose and not your specific purpose, like what's the greater purpose in the world and how can I contribute to that? Yeah, that's very cool. Um, a side question to that, just because as a, as a parent, uh, I only have two kids, but uh, how do you balance that? It, it's, uh, you know, having that large of a family, I, I imagine any family is, <laughs> there's a lot of balance that goes on, but it's something that I find is, is difficult sometimes, right? You're, you're sort of in your mind, you're doing this for your family, you're also doing it for the greater good, as you said, but at some point, they want they want you around, they want, you know, they're, you know, so there's that, I find that to be a difficult balance. And I'm always curious how other parents kind of manage that. Yeah, I, you know, it really, it is a challenge every parent has. And it kind of goes back to the question, well, you might think that you have, uh, you know, if you have one kid, then you have your second child, you're like, well, how can I possibly, I love this one child with all of the love in the world that I have, how can I possibly love another child also and then they're they're born you're like i love this second child as much as i love the first one. and you know and so you have because we're given these abilities within us of you know unbounded uh love and i think 
when you, in parenting, when you're focused on what are the, what is the each individual child need? And I learned, you know, I learned this kind of intrinsically, but then I came across this book, actually Rod Khalif mentioned it on my podcast many, many moons ago about the five languages of love and re, you know, realized, Oh, that, that makes a lot of, that's, I've been doing that, but that makes a lot of sense that each person, especially children react differently or have different things that they relate to. Um, and so when you can find how I can, you know, give to them and give my attention, full attention to them when I'm with them, but then find these little ways, like one child, they really love presence. Another child, you know, another person really loves uh, attention. Another child really loves like the physical touch, like, you know, big hugs. And, and for them, you know, for each one, that one action can mean the same exactly and can mean the most love that they can possibly feel. Uh, so getting in tune with that and just spending quality time, you know, obviously you can't spend all the time in the world, but when the individual time is quality and your full attention is there and like, you know, no devices, anything like that when you're around them, or at least, you know, not, not all the time, obviously I'm not saying you can't ever have that, but when you're spending quality time, make sure the time doesn't matter if it's a minute or 10 minutes or an hour, but they feel that you care and they feel like you're making them feel like the most important person in the world at that moment. That's all. That's all. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I love that. I, I think that's that's fantastic, uh, you know, sort of perspective on that. So it's what I try to do. I'm sure I don't succeed every single time, but it's what I try to do is be, <laughs> when I'm there, be be 100% present. So um, great. All right, this one's going to be a hard one. Tell, <laughs> tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, which having been on so many podcasts and uh, having your own podcast, that might be a hard thing to come up with. But if, if you can think of something that would be that would be great something about myself that is not common knowledge yeah there's probably a lot of things about that um but let's do this i think i really enjoy ice skating really that yeah. is that is very cool there you I, go. I, I did I not see that coming at all but yeah that's, yeah. that's very cool uh, i'm terrible at ice skating but i <laughs> I, I think it's a very uh, impressive when people are really good at it and just have you know control. I'm a essentially skate until I hit a wall sort of person. One, hold on one second. One sure. second. One, sorry, sorry, sorry. That was a close one. Sorry, I'm sure you're editing this after, but yeah, well, we get we can edit that part out. That's why that was a close call. Literally, the my office like someone just shut off lights and was about to lock the building. Oh really? <laughs> like, I'm still here. Seems like something weird happened with the lights, but yeah, you don't don't want to get yeah. there. Uh, that's very funny. Um, okay, great. So uh, the Let's go back to the, the question. You can start. <laughs> You're, you're an excellent ice skater. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, uh, next question would be, and, and I think this will be pretty easy, but uh, in terms of reaching out to you, uh, I would assume the best place is LinkedIn. That seems to be where you're very, very present. So we'll, we, we sort of already covered that. Um, final question, Yona, what, what advice would you give to someone who's maybe um, 
you know, early in their journey trying to get started, what would you tell them is, is kind of the best way to, to help uh, achieve that level of success that you have? There's so much that we already mentioned in this podcast about just helping other people. But one thing I didn't really mention is find a mentor, find someone, not just a mentor, but literally someone that you can apprentice. Um, you know, if you want to learn how to play the violin, you want to learn how to do anything. You can watch YouTube videos and you can listen to podcasts, but sitting next to someone who is, has been doing it for a long time and has been successful at it. And you can literally cut out years of mistakes and experience just by leveraging their experience. Um, apprenticing is so underrated. Obviously we talk, you know, a lot of people talk about mentorship and all that kind of stuff, but what I'm talking about is, is like taking that mentorship to the next level of literally just spending time with that person hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. We, and and it, maybe that means you're, you're working for free for, for some time or something like that. Cause it, it's, it's going to come back to you. I, I totally agree. Just working with someone on an apprentice type level when that's the way you're going to being actually involved. That's the way you're going to really learn things. You can read all the books, listen to all the podcasts. I mean, there's a lot of great information out there, but in terms of probably speeding up your journey, that, that apprenticeship style would be, uh, I think irreplaceable. Yeah, it is totally. Awesome. Great. Well, I think that's it. Yona, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, provided so much great insight and value. Uh, it's, it's been fantastic to talk to you. So thank you very much. My pleasure has been uh, my pleasure as well. And I appreciate you reaching out and we can make this happen. Yeah, awesome. All right, thank you. Well, have a great day, everyone. We'll sign off. I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. 